0: There's something about a craftsman who is also an artist. I mean, I spent 15 years working as an oil filled machinist, and I could put threads on one end, holes in the other. But an artist like bitmaker Casey Horg goes deep inside his right brain and figures out a cool way to make a copper inlaid roller. The roller, it looks like it is a steel roller with copper inlays.
1: It is a steel roller, and a good friend of mine is a blacksmith, and he got into making these wedding rings out of uh, titanium and what's called mokame. Uh-huh. And mokame is basically a, uh, it's like Damascus steel, but it's, it's uh, made out of precious metals. So what that is that's inlaid in the center of that roller is, it's a half a roll of quarters, that we forge welded and then laid it all out and then cut a groove in that cricket and that's what makes the pattern. It has a pretty neat deal. If you look at it real close it's a pretty cool deal.
2: Welcome to the Woe podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm Renee Hare. And I'm John Hare. Each week on the show it's our turn to talk about horses. Before we do we wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. Patreon is a way you can support The Woe Podcast. The Woe Podcast is in its fifth year with over 150 episodes and nearly 100 videos. While we aren't wearing out, our equipment is. You can show your support for the show
0: on our Patreon page. It's easy. Go to patreon.com forward slash john Hare and check it out. We hope to add a few more rewards. We have a t-shirt and a decal in design that will look sharp and look good around the barn. and. We want every contributor to supply us with a photo of you and your horse so we can post it on the Woe Podcast support page. There's a link to Patreon on our website.
2: You can help us produce even better content.
0: Now let's get to this week's show, which is a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I mentioned at the top of the show, I worked as a machinist, with my dad in fact, in our oil-filled machine shop. We built tools that would be used downhole, and I loved working with my hands.
2: We've been trying to keep our horsemanship moving forward, and while we could happily ride our horses in snaffles all their lives, we thought it would be cool to try moving them up into the bridle.
0: There's a lot of advice and even more opinions out there about bits and bidding. As we began to take closer looks at the variety of bits out there, the choices were not becoming obvious. Well, what good is a podcast if we can't get some free information and advice?
2: We had the folks hosting the Early California Skills of the Rancho on, on the podcast a few weeks back. And they told us about local bit maker Casey Horg. Casey will have a booth set up at the Skills in Santa Maria on July 6th through 9th.
0: And who better to learn bits from than someone who starts with a chunk of metal and finishes with a beautiful, functional piece of art. Casey spent a lot of time cowboying and living the ranching life before moving into the city. I kind of got the feeling bit-making allowed him to keep one boot in the cowboy world. Casey invited me to his home in Bakersfield to talk bits and show me some of his artwork. You'll hear us talking about a spade bit he built that is simply a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. Let's hear bit-maker Casey Horde on the Woe Podcast. Hi Casey, how you doing? Good. So I understand you're a bit-maker. I am. And how long have you been doing
1: that? I started about 15, 20 years ago. When I was working on a ranch and had a little spare time and uh, kind of started with it then and uh, didn't get very far and kind of let it go for a number of years and got back into it pretty seriously here about uh, six or seven years ago.
0: Were you, working on, you were working on a ranch? You were around horses all the time? Yes. What do you do now?
1: I'm a heavy equipment operator now.
0: Right Riding something with a little bit more horsepower on there, huh? No?
1: Well, it was kind of a decision we made. Uh, we wanted to move to town with the kids and get them in a good school. And, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs, I guess, as far as that goes. So,
0: Where were you living?
1: The last real cowboy job I had, I was uh, working for Tejon Ranch, living up in Lebec. Oh,
0: very cool. Well, how involved in horses were you? I mean, were you... Did you had you raised a couple of bridle horses or trained bridle horses, or were you pretty much a just not just, but pretty much a working rancher?
1: I was, yeah, I was a working cowboy. Uh, I never owned very many horses of my own, so I just rode whatever was given to me, you know, by the ranch. Some of them were good ones, some of them were not so good ones, you know, and uh, uh, had the opportunity to uh, make, in my opinion, some decent horses, and just kind of went from there. I've always
0: suspected that there are quite a few knowledgeable horsemen that are working on those ranches that nobody knows anything about. They've just got secrets. I, I don't know why that is. I just think it's mysterious. And
1: yeah, I agree with that. I mean, uh, some of the some of the guys that were, you know, probably the biggest influences on me and what little bit I know about bridle horses and how to ride bridle horses and how to make bridle horses were the guys that a lot of guys have never heard of.
0: On the Tone Ranch were they were they open to taking the extra time it took to make a bridle horse?
1: Yeah, I think most places, as long as you can get your job done with a horse, they don't you know they don't limit you to what you can and can't do with them. I mean, obviously, you know, nobody wants to see their horses hurt or right. anything like that, but uh, It wasn't the kind of deal where we were raising these horses to sell as bridal horses. So, I mean, if you rode them in the snaffle bit for the rest of their lives, they really didn't care, you know.
0: Did you put them in the hackamore?
1: You know, I was. uh, I'm not a real hackamore guy. You know, Uh, a lot of the horses that I rode, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know that I would trust them a whole lot in a hackamore. uh, I think there's definitely an art to it, and uh, you know, I, I did have some horses that I rode in, in two reins, just in case something ever went wrong. I'd have be able to kind of take a hold of one and
0: bend them around,
1: bend them around a little bit, or you know, just had a little little bit more control over them. I think
0: you might notice these questions lend a little bit to the personal side for me because I've been working with the horse and the hackamore, and what you said is exactly. Right. I'm fumbling my way through it, and it's. Uh, some ups and some downs. It's
1: definitely a learning curve, and I was at the bottom end of it, for sure. So. <laughs> now,
0: what what made you interested in bits in the, in the first place?
1: You know, I guess it was something that was always in me. I mean, I always enjoyed looking at them, and, you know, the different... There's so many different varieties of, of bits and cheeks and mouthpieces and all that. And there was an old... Bridle horse man that I learned from that I worked with twenty some odd years ago that had some really cool stuff, a lot of old Abbey Hunt bits and a lot of old Vicelia bits and uh, stuff like that that you know anybody would just die to have. You know, he if he had a bit that uh, that he had come across or had sitting around and he didn't particularly like the mouthpiece in it, he wasn't afraid to cut the mouthpiece out of one, build his own mouthpiece and, and put his own mouthpiece in it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, to me, it it kind of interested me, and I guess he was probably the one that really got me interested in making that stuff because I never really thought about it before. You know, you go out and you buy this stuff, but at the same time, if a guy learned the skills, you can just as easily make your own, you know. Right. Who was that? Uh, his name was Jim Rocha.
0: And Was he around San Joaquin Valley?
1: Yeah, he worked at Tejon Ranch probably... 60 or 70 years ago now when the Bedarts and uh, Oscar Rudnick had Tahoe Ranch leased. And so he worked for Bedarts and ended up working for Bedarts for 50 some odd years. And that's where I worked with him. Uh, he worked for another on another ranch over on the west side out by Taft.
0: What was the first bit that you made?
1: It's hanging out in the garage if you want to see it. It's kind of a, it's got a great big concho on it and I didn't know how to engrave so I had to buy the concho and (laughs) it's pretty simple. I mean, I knew how to do some stripe inlay so it's got stripes all over it and it's kind of a big concho bit with a nesh shank on it, you know.
0: And what was it like the first time you put it in? the horse you were riding you know
1: what to this day it still holds up as a, as a good bit I, I honestly anytime I get a horseback that's the bit I use and on a bridle horse and I've never had a horse that didn't like it so you know I, I guess I lucked out on the first time around there
0: now how do you how does one advance in making bits I mean because it's got to be or does it have to be I don't know does it have to be? bit making apply it to the horse go back and adjust is it like you know making a suit where you, you go back into the tailor and he might measure something up and go I need to shorten the sleeve a little bit or or that shank
1: well in my opinion that's a pretty complex question because I think that what works for me may not work for somebody else uh, the bit I told you about the first bit I ever made there's nothing correct about it as far as what today's standards are the 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 proportions are all wrong everything's all wrong with it but yet it's worked for me so you know that's a hard question to answer yes you could easily try a bit and and figure okay well this is what I think's wrong with it you know uh, next one I'll do this little different or Mm -hmm. you know there's there's a million different variations that go into this stuff so it's To me, it would be very hard to pinpoint one thing and say, okay, this is why I don't think this bit's working. So let me shorten this or lengthen that or widen this or, you know.
0: So if you get like mass produced bit, those are probably all geometrically perfect. Uh, You know, they measure one end and and put the balance point someplace else. But when you have a a handcrafted bit made for you that's more of an artisan's feel you probably have a lot more feel than math in it is that fair to say
1: i'll be real honest with you i i rely a lot more on people that's got a lot more experience with these bridal horses than i rely on my own experience i try to talk to a lot of people that i respect people that i know are good hands and and uh, guys i've seen ride these horses and make these horses i tend to rely more on people like that than i then i draw from my own experience you know uh they for one thing they've done it a lot longer than i have
0: what, what kind of stuff
1: do they tell you you know it's 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 all opinions <laughs> uh, let me start there um, it's a lot of it has to do with the proportions of a cheek you know, how far from the top of the bridle loop to the center of the mouthpiece, how far from the center of the mouthpiece to where your your rain chains hook on at the bottom of the bit. You know, and, and uh, uh, I've had guys tell me that, you know, you want less leverage on a spade bit like this than you would on, on say, a half-breed bit or, a uh, you know, a bit with a shorter port. And, and I can certainly understand that. I mean, it doesn't take much on a spade bit to... Engage Engage it, exactly, yeah.
0: There are a lot of different aspects that you use in making a bit. If somebody's looking for a bit, and I know you can do this by picking one up, what do you, what do you look for in a quality bit?
1: Uh, obviously, you want it to be functional, so, I mean, you, you look at how the mouthpiece is set in the bit. Um, I think that the overall workmanship is going to kind of jump out at you. Uh, somebody that's going to take some time and and uh, you know do a nice job with this finish work or with his engraving or or whatever the case may be um, is going to tend to do t- tend to go the extra mile to make sure that that bit doesn't have any sharp edges on it or it doesn't uh, doesn't pinch anywhere or, you know somebody I think somebody that really cares about the craft is going to go the extra mile and make sure that things are right with it. There's a lot of things. I mean, you know, a lot of guys pick up a bit and and check the balance of it. And and I tend to do that too. Some of the things that I've learned and some of the things I've seen, I don't know that that's 100% uh, an indicator of what that bit's going to do in that horse's mouth. When you look at a horse and and the way a horse travels, it's it's, kind of easy, I guess, to ride a horse in an arena in a controlled environment where you know, whether you're working a cow with that horse or, you know, uh, at one of these vaquero ropings or whatever, I think it's a little bit different deal, in my opinion, uh, when you're working on a ranch or you're working outside. A horse is gonna carry his head different when he's, when he's chasing after a cow, you know, when, he, when you're out trying to rope a cow, that horse has his horse has has his head stretched out a little bit more, and he's carrying his head differently than he would if you're in an arena or a Brandon pen or, or whatever. And the horse is kind of collected and, and bridled up, you know. I really don't think there's a perfect mouthpiece and a perfect way to set it in that bit. I, I really don't. You know? <laughs> do you
0: modify or repair bits too?
1: I do a little bit of it. Um... Some of it I don't mind. Some of it I do. You know, I, I've put a kind of a high price tag on them as a base for repairing bits, just because it takes a lot of my time away from other things. Right. It's a part-time deal for me, so I'm not. I'm not really wanting to get into the repair business. Uh, so. I try to spend as little time as possible doing the repairs.
0: That repair, you always that the taking apart part is awful difficult, and uh, it's it's kind of like opening a watch face. You know, you know, yeah. What did the other guy do in here? You know,
1: exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's been a couple times that there's been things that I have looked at and I thought I, I really don't know how to fix it because I don't know what this guy did here, and it's not what I would do, and that's been kind of difficult a couple times. But uh,
0: then, as somebody who's trying to figure out all this you know, because I've been using a snaffle for ever and I'm I've been trying to investigate which bit do I want to what where do I want to go and, and the, the opinions are just there's they're like lotto number combinations, you know, there's just a ton of them. Yep. You know, where does how does one start? You know, what do you have as, as advice that, that you could probably
1: offer somebody? as far as somebody wanting to purchase a bit or their first bit? Yeah,
0: or, or you know, moving up, again, you know, do you, do you, it's trial and error, do you buy one? Uh...
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's, it's probably largely trial and error. Um, I think, I think that there's kind of a standard with most of these bits, uh, as far as the proportions of the cheek and things like that. And, I mean, obviously, I, I wouldn't recommend for somebody to go out for their first bit and buy something like that. I would, I would tend to to say maybe a half breed or a you know a little polo or a frog mouthpiece or something like that. You know, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of, lot of like you say, there's a lot of opinions and and I've got mine, I guess. But uh, why well, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. You know? Okay, but now you also make spurs too. Is there? I've made three sets of spurs in my life. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't made very many of them, but uh, but it
0: just says bits and spurs, so it kind of goes along. It's a, it goes well, I made floor. three sets of spurs, so I'm allowed to put spurs <laughs> on the go, sign. That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> And how about how long does it take to manufacture a custom bit?
1: For the most part, most of the bits I make, I can do in about 50 hours. 50. So it's about a five-day week, a 10-hour day is what I figure usually. Wow. Some of them are, are a lot more. Some of them are a lot less. There's, there's some, you know, some of these overlay bits I can, you know, I can probably turn them out in 30 hours, something like that.
0: Yeah, if you weren't doing the decoration part of, that, of it, how long would it take you to put the bit together? Uh,
1: it takes me a full day to build most of, these, most of these mouthpieces, especially a spade. It's it's a full day's worth of work, you know, and that's and that's everything. Uh, manufacturing it and getting it all filed down, sanded, polished, you know, to where it's, it's ready to go on the bit. You know, making the crickets and stuff like that, you know, it's... Uh, and and that's and I've I've shaved a lot of time off of that in the last few years <laughs> with some of the things I've learned. So,
0: and what kind of material are they made out of? Uh,
1: all of my cheeks are all made out of forty-one thirty, which is a high carbon steel. Uh, it's real durable. It's pretty tough to bend and destroy. And it's it should last you. It'll last you forever. It'll outlast you.
0: And that's a that's a chrome alloy, then?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And then, uh, do you mill
0: them? Down is that what or the
1: cheeks? Uh-huh. Uh I do very little milling on the cheeks. I really don't do aside from engraving. I don't do a whole lot. I don't do a lot of inlays uh, except for stripes. Uh, I just haven't really figured out a way to do them quickly. So it's not what I would have to charge somebody for an inlaid bit is is a lot more than what a lot of these other guys that haven't figured out. How do you coat. cut
0: out that pattern? Is that plasma cut or?
1: The cheek pattern. Uh-huh. Uh, most of my cheek patterns now I have cut with a water jet machine. Uh, I don't do them myself. I've got a bandsaw. I do cut a few of them myself for special things and and stuff like that. All my spurs I cut on my bandsaw. That, that that water jet machine you fight with a lot of guys about it. You know they say it's not a handmade bit if you have them cut out with a water jet machine. I see their point, but. I guess the, the people that buy my stuff are just looking for a good using bit. They're not really looking for, the, maybe not so much the collectability of it, or, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's a big, that's a huge sticking point in the industry, and, and you know, I mean, guys will want to uh, go to blows with you over it sometimes, you know, but that, that's the way I do it. So I spent
0: some years as an oil field machinist, and if you could get it cut on that type of Machine, then it's gonna because everything I've heard is balances everything, balances everything. Well, if those two cheek pieces are cut off of that machine, they're gonna be identical. Yeah, not that they'd be far off if they were hand done. No,
1: it, it's you, they're really not. It's all it really is. All it really is is it takes literally a good day off of a good ten hour day off of my manufacturing process that's the way i see it it's a huge time saver for me and i can (laughs) and to be real honest that is one of the things that i dread the most is the file work and the tedious stuff like that so any of that i can avoid i'm always looking for a shortcut and you know without sacrificing quality of course but yeah that that water jet machine's hard to beat
0: let's take a look at this bit so this is your spade bit now is this uh, your standard spade is, is, if there is a standard one for you? That
1: bit's a, quite a bit taller than what I would normally make a, a spade bit. Um, it was kind of an experiment and something I wanted to be kind of over the top with. And uh, I sent it to a show. Uh, I sent it to the Fusion show down there at the buck and Pro-Am roping last year. I just wanted something that was going to kind of stand out. And I see some of these makers like Mark Dahl making a lot of these tall spades like that, and you know, I just thought, heck, you know, give it a shot and see what happens, you know.
0: Now, you might have mentioned this, but how do you do this flower pattern on the cheek piece?
1: I just, I draw it all on there, and... uh, Etch it? I I cut it all out, and all the, on that bit there, all the background has all been removed where that black area is, Uh and it's very, very time-consuming.
0: I bet. Well, that's just gorgeous, and... The roller, looks like it is a steel roller with copper inlays.
1: Uh, Actually, what that is, it is a steel roller, and a good friend of mine is a blacksmith, and he got into making these wedding rings out of uh, titanium and what's called Uh mokame. And mokame is basically a... uh, It's like Damascus steel, but it's it's, uh, made out of precious metals. So what that is that's inlaid in the center of that roller is... It's a half a roll of quarters that we forge welded, and then laid it all out, and then cut a groove in that cricket, and that's that's what makes the pattern. Is that right? Yeah, yeah it has a pretty neat deal. It's hard to see, and I kind of was hoping for a little bit uh, more pop, pop to it, with you know. But if you look at it real close, it's a pretty cool deal.
0: There's um there's quite a bit of copper in here, so that's going to cause the horse to to uh, salivate
1: mm-hmm.
0: now about how much does this weigh
1: now that i couldn't tell you i've I never really weighed <laughs> one okay. that that sheet there's pretty light uh, it
0: feels kind of light for
1: it yeah it's uh that, that's a pretty good sheet and along the lines of the of the copper and everything um uh, i was you know reading about abby Hunt and some of the stuff that he used to do and he used to put zinc on the bottom of the spades so i started doing some of that too and that bit's got the zinc on the bottom of it there
0: where's that Right here. Oh, I got it. Okay, so it's on the bottom of the spade.
1: Yeah, and I've just started doing that, and I've not, uh, I don't think I've sold a bit that anybody's actually used yet, so I'm still kind of waiting to get some feedback on that and see how people like it.
0: And that's supposed to help with uh, salivation?
1: Yeah, it's supposed to, you know, that's what uh, Abby Hunt claimed anyway, with the copper and the zinc.
0: Well, people take zinc lozenges when they have a cold, so. Well, they, your horse won't get sick. There you go. <laughs> I am reading Ed Connell's book which is I'm trying to prepare for the, <laughs> the interview right and he's talking about how that those that chains kind of balance the the bit in the horse's mouth mm-hmm. and is that just by trial and error again
1: well I think I I think every every cheek's going to balance a little differently, and every mouthpiece is going to kind of play a part in that. Like that tall spade on that, mm-hmm. that bit kind of tends to sit back a little bit because of the weight of it. I think once that bit's in a horse's mouth, I think the horse is going to be pretty comfortable packing that bit. Um, and I don't think it's going to flop a lot or anything. So, yeah, yeah it's basically, it's, it's trial and error, I guess, to answer your question. Now
0: the the horse when this is in the horse's mouth, is he holding on to this part of it or this part?
1: I think well the the, the cannon of that bit is going to be resting on the bars of his mouth, and his he's going to have there's going to be some contact with the braces on his tongue, and I think and I and I've always tried to make these bits pretty loose to where you know any little any little movement is going to move that brace as well as the You know, any movement of the cheek is going to move that brace a little bit. It's just, I think it's just one more cue that a horse has to, uh, it's just one more cue that a horse has. Right. Got it.
0: Well, cool. This is fascinating. Anything else we should know about bits?
1: You should know a lot of stuff about bits, (laughs) but I'm not sure I'm the one that's going to tell you. (laughs) And
0: you're going to be at the uh, Early California Skills of the Rancho as a vendor. You're going to have a good supply of bits spurs there? Well, I don't
1: know how much I'm going to have. I've been actually very busy with orders this year, so uh, I don't have a whole lot of stuff to take, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping to pick up some orders while I'm there and just go for a good time anyway. Well,
0: that sounds good. Will you be
1: roping? No, I'm not going to go out there and embarrass myself with that.
0: <laughs> I bet you're a pretty good hand.
1: Eh? Yeah, I don't know about that. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't been a horseback much in the last 10 years or so, so kind of kind of rusty, I'm sure, but. But it's great to go back.
0: I'll probably go see all your friends and enjoy that weekend. I
1: do. It's a great weekend. I mean, uh, you know, I've been the last two years and I have a great time, and uh, it's good people there, and uh, you know, they've they've done a lot to keep this stuff alive, and you know, especially in California. I mean, these these ranches are dropping out every day, and you don't have the cowboys out there like you did, and and uh, it's a little bit different world out there now as far as the cowboys are concerned and in california and i think it's great that they have these deals and uh, you know that they're keeping it alive and it's great for me because it's a market for my stuff you yeah. know yeah. Uh, i enjoy i enjoy building it and uh, i certainly have a passion for it and so it's, it's good that i can keep going with that you know well, sounds great thanks for joining us casey yeah thank you
0: That'll do it for this show. Thanks to Casey Horg for sharing his knowledge and experience with us. Casey, along with many other vendors, will be at the Early Californial Skills of the Rancho in Santa Maria, California, on July 6-9. We encourage you to check that out. You can also find out more about Casey Horg's Bits and Spurs on Facebook. You know, Casey and I talked a lot off-microphone about bidding and philosophies, and I came away with this. There are a lot of right ways to do this, and the one that works the best for your horse is the most right. We may not all have access to time and experience to get that perfect straight-up bridle horse, but we can all have fun trying to figure it out.
2: Stay in touch. Woe Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to the Woe Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and you'll never miss an episode.
0: Consider checking out our Patreon page and supporting the Woe Podcast. We hope to add more good stuff and continue to bring you entertaining and informative shows. Patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot then forward slash John Hare, all one word, or simply go to woepodcast.com and find the Patreon button. Need
2: more? You can join our mailing list at woepodcast.com. We'll keep you up to date on everything happening at the Woe Podcast. And John will send you some of his favorite horsemanship tips. Things you can do to build a better relationship with your horse with just a few minutes practice.
0: Thanks again for listening to the show. Please keep sharing our podcast about horses and horsemanship with your friends.
2: And until next time, go have some fun with your horses.
0: Bye-bye, everybody.